shot. What's up, combies? I'm Hannah. And I'm Olivia. And it's time to kombuchat. All right. Another topic upcoming. This one, I will say, I didn't know a ton about before we did some research. I'm really excited to learn even more from the interview. Yeah, me too. Uh, It's sustainable fashion is what we're talking about this week. And, you know, it's something that's always kind of been in the back of my mind. I mean, for a long time now, but not Mm -hmm. something that I can say I've taken an active stance on making habits to be more sustainable with fashion choices. So I'm really interested to dive in and try to help people understand what are some things they can do. You know what's interesting around this topic, and maybe it's just a personal anecdote that means nothing, but I feel like I hear more about fast fashion than I do about sustainable fashion. Like the phrasing of I always hear more about fast fashion. That's actually a really good point. I feel like I always hear that too. Yeah, instead of the positive. Yeah, what can you actually do about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, okay, so let's get into this. Um, okay. We've, we've got quite a bit of a dive to take the combis through. So when it comes to fast fashion, like you're saying, the internet and especially I feel like social media and Instagram and TikTok have made fashion feel faster than ever before. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I mean by that is back in the day, even when I remember being a child, you shopped seasonally for clothes. Like, oh, spring's coming up. Oh, summer's coming up. Let's get shorts. Oh, it's Mm -hmm. fall. Let's get tights. Let's get boots. Very much was a seasonal thing that people did. But now, with the advent of the internet and probably, you know, the advent and a lot of the way that fast fashion is made, and with social media and, like, you know, not wanting to be in the same outfit for every Instagram photo or every TikTok video, it's become more of something that's actually produced weekly by giants like H&M and other brands as opposed to seasonally. So their teams are actually designing looks for every week, 52 looks, instead of, you know, quarterly. That's a that's a big change. That's insane. And no one has a closet big enough. Trust me, I know. I have tons <laughs> of clothes. They're in boxes, shelving units, closets. No one has a big enough closet to support keeping all of that clothing. That is so true. I mean, even on Instagram, you'll see a lot of the fashion influencers do these like shopping closet things together where they have so many clothes that like Mm -hmm. four of them get together and host basically a garage sale of their clothes and accessories because they just you know, they're going through so many different pieces of clothing so frequently. So I guess the other piece to kind of discuss on this, I mean, well, there are several, but another piece is that, you know, items are often designed, especially by these big brands, to be consumed quickly at cheap prices, uh, Mm -hmm. which 
kind of makes you feel like they're disposable. You can wear them just a few times before you throw them out or you move on to the next trend. You know, the TikTok butt leggings or whatever it may be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't cop those, but... <laughs> <laughs> I haven't either. But I was seeing them, gosh darn, everywhere. So, you know, I mean, I guess when I think of this, I think of, like, H&M, Forever 21. All those sort of, like... Shein. Shein, good one, yeah. All those sort of, like, I don't know, 20s, marketed at 20s women and younger Options. And usually, like, $20 or less for clothing. Oh, totally. <laughs> I remember, like, when I graduated college and I had, like, $0 in debt, I was H&M exclusive because mm-hmm. it was so cheap and I could kind of, you know, stay up to date with some of the trends, at least seasonally, by getting really cheap clothes. And they never last long. I mean, you're lucky if they last the season that you buy them for a lot of times. Yeah, and I would argue, too, that they often don't fit as well as when you're getting something that is more handmade or smaller brand or a little pricier, where you're like, oh, this looks cute enough, okay. So yeah, the fast fashion cycle, it's it's far from sustainable, obviously. I mean, it it... There are environmental impacts here, depleting natural resources at exponential rates. There are issues of exploiting the people who make the clothing around the globe. I mean, I'm no one, this is not anyone's first time of hearing of sweatshops. And this all results in an overwhelming amount of waste too, because if you do get that top and it's just for that night out or that event, and then you're like, okay, it was cute for that, but like, I don't really have anything else I'm going to wear this to, and it doesn't really fit that great, and it was $7, then you're very likely to throw it out or goodwill it um, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Not saying that you shouldn't, you know, give it to a second hand, but at the same time, again, they're not made to last. So even getting something like that, a, a lot of the, I feel like a lot of the secondhand places won't even take those cheap brands because it's like, what's the point? So there is something that you can do about all of this, I guess, is what, what we're trying to get to the root of today with, you know, our guest and this topic. And that is making more sustainable fashion choices. So maybe we should get into the definition. Okay, so sustainable fashion refers to clothing that is designed, manufactured, distributed, and used in ways that are environmentally friendly. Great. And so when I hear that definition, I think of the supply chain, right? Mm -hmm. From start to finish, how the garment's being sourced, how it's being created, who's doing it, are they getting paid a living wage, do they have safe working conditions, is the way that they're manufacturing the product okay for the environment, Um, and then, you know, how is it being sent to a store, is it using a lot of carbon emissions to get there, or something damaging in that way, and then how much is it? What does the cost look like? What does the buying experience look like for the consumer? So from start to finish, we're going to dive into some sustainable fashion tips. Um, Before we do that, we're going to take a little historical look at sustainable fashion. 
because Love it. there is kind of a lot to dig into here. I found this article on thewellnessfeed.com, which dove into the chain of events that have kind of led to this movement that is sustainable fashion. One of the first ones that they mention is in 2001, Stella McCartney actually launched her brand with a vegetarian collection, which was actually kind of unheard of at the time. Um, you know, she's a vegan designer. I don't, I don't really know what vegetarian means in this context. <laughs> I didn't really quite look into that, but she is a vegan designer. And so her products are not sourced from animals in any way. Mm-hmm. And that was super cutting edge at that time. So that's, that's even just another thing to think about in this, you know, our animals mm-hmm. being harmed, which I know yeah. is important to you, mm-hmm. especially. You know, from there, there is in 2009, the Sustainable Apparel Coalition launches, which is an alliance between apparel, textile, footwear industries, all kind of creating tools to improve social labor and the negative impacts that these industries have on mainly people um, at that time. The big thing, though, that a lot of people kind of trace the roots of sustainable fashion and the movement back to happened in 2013. And that was the Rana Plaza factory in Bangladesh collapsed, killing 1,100 workers. The building had been reported as unsafe at the time. There were, uh, actually, it had been reported as unsafe many times leading into its collapse. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of concerns around the working conditions for workers there. And there were a ton of big brands who were having their garments made by people in this factory, including Benetton, Bon Marche, The Children's Place, Joe Fresh, Mango, Madelon, and Primark. That really seemed to make a, a big noise in the space as far as people being like, whoa, this mm-hmm. is pretty terrible that we're having clothes manufactured while people have to be in these working conditions. You know, documentaries are always so pivotal in these sort of movements. And there was a really great one called The True Cost, which was released in 2015. So a couple of years after the plaza collapsed. In that documentary, they really go into how that occurred, why that tragedy had such an impact on the industry. Um, And it's something that our guest today, Ashley Mitchell, recommends that everyone who is, you know, even somewhat interested in this topic, check out. It was influential to her. It was very influential just to the fashion industry in general. We'll put a link in the show notes for that. Um, You know, if you really want to dive into more of the historical elements around this, that's a really great place to do it. Um, But that was kind of like the big occurrence that really brought sustainable fashion and the conversations around this topic more mainstream. I think that documentaries are a really good way to reach a large audience and to reach an audience who is not just activists in that particular area, but may just have a little bit of interest, you know, catchy title, catchy um, 
write up about it. I think that that translates into the vegan world a lot. And Mm -hmm. so seeing that it translates into um, sustainable fashion is, is really cool. So how do we do fashion differently? You know, with everything we've said above, fashion... You're all sad. (laughs) You're all sad right now. We're going to change that. And, like, we're all guilty of this. I mean, like I said, I shopped at H&M for years. I still have gotten things from them in recent years, a piece here or there. You know, we've all shopped at those big box stores for the most part. So, you know, this isn't to impart guilt in any way. This is just, like, bringing some things to knowledge and, like, what can you maybe do differently and maybe it's not all the time for you, but maybe mm-hmm. sometimes you're you're using some of these choices to make some decisions that are a little more sustainable, and that's great. So there are a number of different ways that you can make more sustainable fashion choices. Um, some things to think about would be using organic materials, so looking for things that are made organically, looking for things that are made with biodegradable dyes. So let's maybe talk a little more about the specifics of some of those things. So one thing is using, uh, buying products that are made from recycled or dead stock materials. So looking for fabrics made of recycled fibers, like recycled nylons, polyester, cotton, um, clothes that are made of upcycled materials or repurposed fabric, or clothes made from dead stock fabric, materials that were created but never sold nor used and would otherwise be thrown away. Very cool. So another way that, like I mentioned, is, you know, looking for things that have eco-friendly dyes in them, so dyes that aren't so harmful to the environment. And the way to do that is to look for clothing that has a blue sign or O-E-K-O certifications. So it will say one of these things on the garment tag information or, you know, in the like description when shopping. And eco-friendly dyes include ones from digital printing, which requires less water, natural plant-based dyes, and certified non-toxic dyes. So you can look for the blue sign or the OEKO Tex 100 certifications to know that you're getting something that's a little more eco-friendly dyed. Love. Love when there's a label. Makes it easy. That's right. Um, Another thing you can do is look for products with zero or low waist design. And we don't mean Britney Spears jeans low waist of the days of the past. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) We mean look for brands that make it a priority to minimize byproduct waste in their manufacturing process and excessive packaging materials during transport. That's becoming a huge one, the excessive packing materials. I know with Uber Eats and stuff, which is not a garment, but is delicious. <laughs> I wear my food. <laughs> you know, you can rank them on their packaging. And so it's actually made a lot of restaurants choose more sustainable packaging so that they get a higher rating on the application. Wow. You know, on Amazon, too, you can choose to have your packages come in just, like, boxes and recycled materials instead of those plastic 
envelopes. Wow, I need to make that change today. I didn't even know yeah. that was a choice. That's awesome. It's a good one. So yeah, this is just something that I think a lot of different industries are looking at right now and super important. Um, You know, an easy thing to do as well, depending, I guess, depending on the area you live in, this could be easier and more accessible to some people than others. But you can look for locally made clothes um, and ones that were made in renewable energy run facilities. Um, I think a good thing to do is like, if you go to like flea markets or places like that where people have set up stands where they have made clothing, that would be an easy conversation to have with that vendor about um, how their products are made. You're supporting a small business, you're buying something local, you're buying sustainably. Uh, Another option is obviously secondhand and more durable clothing. And this is very much where our guest today comes in. Woo woo. So today we are speaking with Ashley Mitchell, who has always had a love for fashion and realized it was her favorite form of self-expression, which love that. Mm, Yeah. After years of working in retail, Ashley started to notice the negative impacts within the fashion industry, and she found it really hard to be satisfied with her career because of it. So using her experience and expertise, she birthed the Yellow Morning, which is a curated boutique and with modern collections of vintage and secondhand clothes. And she's very passionate about educating people on sustainability and fast fashion along the way. And at the yellow morning, she wants to make sure you look good without feeling bad. I love that. Right? So let's dive into it with Ashley. All right. Ashley, we're so excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited to be here. Yes. Well, we're excited to have you. You know, we've we've kind of given the combis a background on, you know, making more sustainable choices, some of the historical elements that you were kind enough to send us to look into a little further to kind of get this process going ourselves and educating our community. And so I think kind of first off, what we'd like to hear about is how you made the jump from working more retail and then you know you kind of had this epiphany and you started the yellow morning and how that whole transition has been yeah um so it's been definitely a transition for a couple years now so this month the end of this month it will be exactly two years since i left my career in retail so i lived in long beach and i had to drive to the 405 every day to get to manhattan beach where i was working I started listening to podcasts in my ride on my ride there. I kind of was discovering what minimalism was. In, mm. I watched a documentary um, and it really resonated with me to the point where that's where my epiphany kind of came. Um, okay. And I just, it resonated with me so well that like, I didn't realize working, you know, 10 plus years in the fashion industry, I could see that things had been changing, but I wasn't understanding exactly why they were changing. And so after watching this documentary, it kind of was like, oh, this makes a lot more sense now. Like um, consumerism has changed drastically in the past like 10 years because of the fashion industry. It clicked, it made sense. And I started to feel like lost. Like I wasn't sure where I was going to go after that because 
I didn't want to be part of something I didn't agree with that didn't align with my values. And I knew I was that person that like I overconsumed. I bought just to buy, you know, new clothes. I it didn't matter if I needed it. If I just wanted it to feel better in that moment. It took a good like couple years to really <laughs> figure out where to go with that. Um, and so when I moved to Denver, I got a job working in fashion again. That's when I learned fast fashion isn't just like Forever 21 or H&M. It's a lot deeper than that too. And I was working in it again. I, I felt sick about my job. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore confidently and feel good about what I was doing with like the customers who I'd grown relationships with over time because I was there full time. And you see these women coming in on a weekly basis, wanting new clothes. It was getting really hard to go to work. And so my husband and I also had started a marketing agency in that time because that's what he does. So we found a way for me to pivot and help out with that. And within about six months after clearing my head from working retail um, is when like the idea of yellow morning started to come. And it was basically just me asking myself a lot of questions of like, okay, what do I want to do in my, with my future? What am I going to be happy doing? What am I going to feel good about? You know, I love styling, all of that. So it's just like, how can I do what I love, but have it align with my values? Uh, I think for me was secondhand clothes. Pretty much anything you could want today that you're like, oh, I saw this in a magazine and you know, it's at H&M or wherever you like to shop. You can find that secondhand almost always given a few exceptions of like maybe a certain brand of something brand new, like it just launched, but you can always wait a year, save up, you know, buy it secondhand still. There's so many options now. You know, I think kind of what you're touching on with some of this is I think a lot of people's hesitation to do secondhand, to buy secondhand, isn't so much that it's previously worn. It's like it's harder to know what's going to go together. Like styling seems harder, right? Because you walk into a fast fashion store, the mannequins are prepared. You can go find that exact thing. It's in every size. And so styling becomes like just so automatic and easy. Um, but what I love about what you do with the yellow morning is like all of your styling tutorials on Instagram to really like help people figure out how to put things together. So maybe you could tell us a little more about like how people could get better with styling. I have four collections and each of my collections are kind of based off of my own personal style and how it's evolved throughout my 20s, throughout my whole life, uh, based on where I've lived, what kind of work I've been doing. I don't think I realized how much all of that influences the way I dress until like I've gotten older. Each of my collections kind of represents a style. So like my Ruby Isle collection is based mostly off of like when I lived in California and like the Sylvan Ash collection mostly represents my personal current style. And so I want to show that like if you are more like into athletic wear, if you're more into like feminine um, styles or you know, just uh, workwear, whatever it might be, whatever you consider your style to be, I want to show that like you can recreate that with secondhand vintage goods, sustainable fashion. I love helping people figure out what they need, what to wear and how to match things together if they want or how to be comfortable. Like I hear all the time, 
I couldn't pull that off. I can't pull that off. I'm like <laughs> you, you can pull that off. You just have to, you know, find what's comfortable for you. It sounds like you have very clear, um, collections and I love that they're based on how you've dressed over the years. How do you uh, curate the items in those collections? How do you find them? Um, I'm so interested. <laughs> yeah, so um, I source all of the clothes locally in Denver. Okay. I go all over. I check out different thrift stores every week sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, finding what days have special deals and all of that. But it really started with me honestly choosing only clothes like I would wear. I'm really trying to um, look into new ways to upcycle items. Like I have a sewing machine, so I'm going to be learning how to sew, you know, kind of tweak certain old clothes into newer clothes. So they're one of a kind by like changing the buttons or maybe hemming it up a little more and cropping it or something. So I have a lot of big plans. (laughs) So this episode is actually going to be dropping the Tuesday before uh, the anniversary of the Rana Plaza factory collapse, um, which was April 24th. And so with that coming up, we're curious, you know, how does the industry typically reflect on this day? Do they? Yes, you usually, I usually see a ton of it everywhere. Um, I know the fashion revolution was started because of this uh, accident that happened. Every year there's big um, conventions. Well, there was, they're probably probably all virtual this year, but um, yeah, there's conventions and they have designers that are based around sustainability, just all these amazing speakers from all around the world that are involved in the fashion industry and want to change it, come to this and they talk about, you know, the current state of the fashion industry and where it is. And I know they're really pushing to um, regulate more things within the fashion industry because it's one of the most unregulated <laughs> industries around. The last thing we wanted to touch on here is, you know, it's one thing if people can purchase secondhand and they can know that that is a sustainable choice. But when it comes to, you know, shopping online or or anything else, are there other ways that they can make sustainable choices? Is it as simple as the website saying like, this is sustainable fashion? I mean, like I'm guessing it's not. (laughs) There are sustainable brands. If you just, you could Google, what are some sustainable fashion brands? And there's gonna, you can get lists of them. I know of a few, like example, what makes a brand sustainable? Like Patagonia is a great example. It's one of the most common used examples. Um, Their whole model is pretty much a circular model, which means um, they don't want you to come constantly buy new clothes from them. If you bought something 10 years ago and it's a jacket and it's starting to get a hole in it, they will fix it for you. (laughs) Like they want to fix it for you and they'll do it at no cost typically, or they'll exchange it. You they'll let you exchange it for a newer product and they'll recycle that old jacket into a new product again. So no waste. Well, I think those are all really great tips for, you know, our community to keep in mind. And let's tell everyone where they can connect with you. 
um, you can go on my website to it's just theyellowmorning.com. I'm on Instagram at theyellowmorning. Um, that's my main places right now. I'm going to be doing uh, more pop-ups this summer a lot. So nice. if you're local in Denver, um, I'm really working on a concept right now, a pop-up concept that would be more of like a month-long feature. So yeah, hopefully you'll see a lot more of Yellow Morning in person. Very cool. We'll have to make sure to share those as they as they come together okay so our next question for you is what is your favorite flavor of kombucha favorite flavor um this one's easy so <laughs> i love listening to this part of your podcast <laughs> yay <laughs> it's so fun um kombucha is very new to me since moving to denver and my favorite kombucha is the um the hum brand mm-hmm. yes and the blackberry flavor. Oh, yum. It's hard to find sometimes, but I can usually find it at Sprouts or Target. Okay, like a delicacy. Yeah. That makes it even better. (laughs) Yes, I love having it. And yep, I have it in the evening usually if I'm uh, cooking dinner. Now we will move into our sweet and spicy round. Sweet or spicy, Ashley? I always went with dare as a child when I played truth or dare. So I'm going to go with spicy, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Olivia, take it away. Okay. If you could pick one celebrity, influencer, or political figure to be your best friend, who would it be? This, I feel like I have so many great answers, but I'm going to go with the first thing that comes to my mind is um, Iris Apple. She's a fashion icon. I'm not sure if you know who she is, but she's in her late nineties. Oh my gosh. She is hundred percent fashion icon. She's amazing. She's worked in fashion her whole life and textiles. And she is for sure a maximalist when it comes to fashion. Okay. Um, big round she's known for these big black round glasses um oh, love she's great i actually have a friend who reminds me so much of her oh <laughs> and, that's yeah, cute here in denver that i've met and so yeah i would say iris apple she would probably be a great friend to have <laughs> okay I have an exciting taste test today. Um, Olivia actually doesn't know what I've got on my sleeve, but I've got a little surprise. I'm nervous. So I found booch pops. What? Popsicles. Kombucha popsicles. So let me tell you a little bit about the brand. So it is by Formula, which it was conceived in California and crafted in Florida. Booch Pops are the world's first nationally distributed frozen kombucha pop. Available at grocery stores nationwide, there are four refre- refreshing flavors, including raspberry lime watermelon, strawberry ginger, lemon turmeric pepper, and pineapple mango, which is what we will be sampling today. Yum! These are so... Oh my gosh, the box! Yeah, so the box is really cute. It's so cute. 
got that tropical feel mm -hmm. happening with the pineapples and whatnot. Booch Pops, pineapple mango, made of fresh fruit, and kombucha tea. So I just imagine like really loving these in the summer. Ooh, yes. That's refreshing. You're still kind of getting that probiotic hit, which is fun. Oh, this is cute. Cute packaging. Okay. Artificial colors or flavors? Booch, please. Oh, I love only real fruit and kombucha tea here our frozen dessert packs are all the good stuff of your sweet sweet dreams we know when to say yes and when to say no so you can say yum so put that sugar bomb down and pick up one of these nutrient rich treats it's the healthier tastier alternative humble brag not intended let's talk a little bit about branding so yes vegan organic real fruit live kombucha made in the usa no artificial ingredients, preservatives, soy, dairy, or gluten. Love all of this. And as far as sugars, 12 grams per serving size, which is 2.5 ounces, which is a pop, okay. according to the front. So that's nice. I wish they would just come out and say that on the side. One pop, One pop is 12 grams of sugar. You know, I'm honestly not sure how that compares to other popsicles yeah i have no idea but um that is what it is so are you ready to try your booch booch me <laughs> <laughs> i don't love that it comes in a plastic sleeve i know that's really how all popsicles, popsicles tend to come that's a bummer and unfortunately i'm pretty sure like frozen cardboard you can't actually recycle any frozen food item cardboard pretty sure it can't actually be recycled because of something that they spray it with oh, for frozen foods mm -hmm. so this wood you could probably compost i'm guessing but outside of that the it's pretty is, wasteful yeah not not great on that for sure smell I do get the tropical hint right away. It smells like mangoes. Mango. I can get yeah. the pineapple actually too. I can get a little pineapple. Mm-hmm. Ready? Uh-huh. I like it. Wait, I really like it. I, I like, like it a lot. Mm. This is really good. Feel like there's a little spice something in it. And I can't decide what that is. It's very, very subtle. I really get the pineapple. It's delicious. I think I get the pineapple more than the mango, but I kind of like that because I feel like when I have pineapple mango things, I usually get more mango. I love the pineapple mango combination. I love the fruit forwardness of it. I love the hint of kombucha without it being overpowering. Mm -hmm. And it also doesn't make my teeth cold. I'm a big fan. I don't, I'm not really sure how to rank this on the SCOBY scale being as it's like non-traditional kombucha. But let's try. So obviously packaging is kind of a no from the recyclable perspective. Mm -hmm. um, the branding's really cute. It's fun. It's funky. I like the name, Booch Pops. The flavor? The flavor is absolutely fabulous. I would 100% buy these again. I would love to eat these in the summer. It's a great way to get some probiotics in kombucha without getting the carbonation of a drink. So if you're someone who's sensitive to carbonation but really love the taste of kombucha, this could be a really fun alternative for you. Yeah, and that they focus on natural flavors and everything like that. It's a good way to still have a fun frozen treat and not feel, you know, guilty about it or not feel worried about what you're consuming, you know. Everyone's different, but I think this is a good alternative. Not even alternative, I think this is a good go-to. 
I'm gonna go 4.5 on this. I would honestly give it a five if everything about it was sustainable and maybe there was some kind of impact with my purchase. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing holding me back from a full five. I completely agree. Because taste is just honestly i can't stop looking at amazing it's literally so good mm, see she's a biter that's something if you bite your popsicle versus <laughs> if you lick it let us know because i'm definitely not a biter i did not think about that i immediately thought of it it's probably because my cold teeth thing i agree so, 4.5 for 4. the same 5. reasons booch pops absolutely delicious Special thanks to Gold Threads Audio for music and audio production on Kombuchat. Check out goldthreadsaudio.com for all your podcast music and sound needs. This has been an On The Run Media production. All reviews are strictly independent opinions of our hosts and guests. Make sure to like, review, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know your favorite part of the episode in the comments and on Instagram. I'm at Blonde On The Run. She's at Olivia Hunt. We'll see you next time, combies.